back everyone to my podcast um this is comfortable being uncomfortable we're new for the new year which is great because uh i've had a crazy holiday season but you know it's great to be back uh here recording with some new guests um my first guest is i have here is jack uh decker right jack decker yes right um jack um we came across each other on Podmatch, which is really great. Got a little bit about your work and about the state's first amendment and just want to take some time to get to know you a little bit more, uh, talk about your political background, um, kind of, uh, different aspects of who you are. And I actually was during our last conversation we had, it was really intriguing to hear kind of your experience in marketing. And, and I love the idea. We talked about the one postcard story. So definitely love to get some insight on that to share with the listeners and um, understand how marketing could be very easy and not as complicated as y'all make it. So um, ideally um, just want to get to know a little bit about you. So Jack, just give me a little bit of background about yourself and how you come across this podcast and how have you come across some of your findings out there in the um, brand worldwide web of international. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm uh, uh, when I graduated from high school, I went into the military U S air force. I mm-hmm. uh, uh, learned about what totalitarian society is, which is what the military has to be to properly operate. Uh, when, <clears throat> I just did one stint in it. Um, I then went to college on uh, the veteran education assistance program. Beep. Um, also, I used some of my inheritance. My father died uh, while I was in the service. So I used a little bit of that to go to college on. Um, I knew I wanted to be a marketer. And so I, <clears throat> I felt that um, the best way, I, I felt that like engineering is based on math mm-hmm. as a, I believe marketing is based on psychology. So I wanted to get my a degree in psychology, social psychology, because I want to be a marketer, not clinical. Um, and while going to college, I just started exploring what totalitarian societies were like. Uh, we have, we have quite a few um, prisons are totalitarian society just means total. Just total society. Uh, Prisons are one. Boarding schools are another. Um, If an extreme version of it is an aircraft carrier in the military when it's out at sea, Mm -hmm. is truly isolated from everything. You know, they are literally their own little city. Um, And during that course of of research, I uh, was finding what my political philosophy is, and and eventually I. I uh, came across, oh, I went to a bookstore and I wanted to read a book and a book clerk uh, suggested, I asked if I was a fan of Franklin, right? I said I was. He's an architect. So here's a fictionalized version of his life, which was by Anne Rand, a fountainhead. I read it, fascinating, read it from cover to cover. And if you understand how Rand books are massive tombs, you, 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 uh, you can book in a tank and it won't move. Um, I came back, I got some, I got some sleep, <laughs> went back, found the same clerk and said, that's a great book. And he said, oh, if you like this one, here's another one. And that was Atlas Shrugged. And in the introduction to Atlas Shrugged, Anne Rand says, uh, Atlas Shrugged is a reply to Fountainhead answering the questions that it raised with viewer, with readers. And it was just fascinating. 500,000 words, just a tomb. It's the largest, it's the longest book ever to be on the bestseller list and just massive 
So I read that. Um, it it was eye-opening many different ways. Um, and then eventually I found out that what I was was a, there was a label that was just kind of getting started, which was libertarian. And um, my definition of there's like everyone kind of has their own definition of libertarianism. My definition of it for simple purposes is I believe in minimum government, maximum liberty. Mm. Um, I believe that another way of putting it is I'm fiscally respectful, socially tolerant. Um, And I became, eventually I became involved in the libertarian party, which is there's libertarianism, which is the philosophy. Mm -hmm. And then there's libertarian party and they are not always one the same thing. Uh, There's, We'll have arguments in the libertarian community about that. But yeah. eventually I became involved in them. I became the director of public relations and advertising for the Libertarian Party of Dane County. Um, eventually I ran for office. I ran for the state assembly 76th district. I got uh, 20, uh, I got 20% of the vote. If you knew how libertarians typically do in elections, that's, that's not, that's not that bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they win, you know, but for well, libertarian, that, that was a decent sure. showing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> over the course of time, when his, you know, I've always been looking at, I, I love history. Um, my degree is in psychology. I have a minor in business administration, but in reality, I could have declared a minor in history, although that would have helped me nothing in business world. <laughs> you know, so I didn't declare it um, because there was a professor. Uh, I went to University of Wisconsin platform. There was a professor um, there. Uh, and he just was a fantastic professor. Um, he taught history, but he taught it from cause and effect um, standpoint. This wow. happened, this caused this happened. Because this happened, this happened. And just a chain of events. Um, because of that, I, I just took every course that he had. Uh, every, time, every course that he taught. I mean, he was so good that when he would tell the class, this is not on the test. Yeah. Students would still take notes. <laughs> you repeat, this is not a test. You don't have to take notes, and the students will still take notes because it's just such rich information. Um, this caused me to research the no learn about the history of America and how it started off and, and the Revolutionary War, um, how our government was, and then in a, in a, after a hundred years of our founding, there was a um a seismic event in our country. Mm-hmm. Um there had always been a pro-centralized power element uh, to our government. Um, and then there was also one that was for states, decentralized. Uh, for your viewers, they probably know the person is mostly epitomized by the pro-centralized powers. Well, there's a musical out right now about him, Alexander Hamilton. Uh-huh. <laughs> He's the one that won. Famous one out yeah. there. He wanted to start, he did. He started our first national bank. Um, uh, that was abolished. <laughs> there was another one, Andrew Jackson, abolished the second national bank. Um, and then there's Thomas Jefferson, who believed in state rights. And 100 years after our founding, um, the pro state rights people, um, pro centralized power people, finally got a court that agreed with them. And agree with the war premium, the general welfare clause, and the commerce clause. And now we have with the federal government as we have now, which is almost unlimited in its power, almost unlimited in its reach. 
Um, for the first hundred years of our country, the Supreme Court kept striking down any law that made the federal government more powerful. Just one after another. No, that's not in the Constitution. That's not in the Constitution. So, you, so pretty much you're saying that the checks and balance system just was something that is there, but really was not being used per se. Well, for the first hundred years, it was. But mm-hmm. then the pro-centralized power people, the Hamilton group. Now, Hamilton was already dead by this time. He died in a duel. What a way to go. Um, There's a... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he died in a duel back then. Uh, Andrew Jackson, well, president, he won many duels. Uh, and he was a president that uh, killed the second national bank, ran on it. The uh, reason why we have directly, why we directly elect our senators is largely because of Andrew Jackson. Um, yeah. yeah, they really, you talk about Trump, about the last election being iffy, read about the, when Alexander Hamilton lost, uh, Andrew Jackson lost his first time going for the presidency. Um, Yeah, pissed off the whole nation. He got reelected. Not reelected, he got elected because of that. And he brought about many changes. Also, I understand at this time, there's also the progressive movement, not like um, how we call progressive, progressive, uh, progressive, that progressive movement came out of my home home state, Wisconsin. And um, that wanted more voice of the people in government. That's why we have direct election of senators. It used to be that state senates would appoint two people and they would go to the US House, the US Senate. That changed. Um, sure. Western states having citizen-initiated uh, statewide referendums came out of the progressive movement. Anyways, um, I, being a libertarian, didn't like this power government is now. It's very uh, intrusive. It's all powerful. Uh, they're still trying to take power away from the states, and the states are fighting them every step of the way. Uh, and, uh, states have are fighting for every little part. Right now, you're taking a look at what um, uh, state versus the federal government battle in Texas. Um, that is a state rights versus a f- um, federal um, wow. conflict that's going on. Um, so we're living with it today. Um, a really bad one was the Civil War. Um, that was over slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that slavery was always a problem. Um, it was just that the, the revolutionary constitution convention, um, if they outlawed slavery, which is what Thomas Jefferson wanted, was George Washington wanted, uh, we wouldn't have had the United States of America. So they kicked the can down the road and they kept kicking it down the road when the, when the bill of rights was being argued after the country is founded. Um, they kept kicking the can down the road. Um, I personally believe that the Civil War was not necessary because the Industrial Revolution was making, well, take a look what we have now. Uh, we used to be an agricultural country, what, 98% of our population was in agriculture. Now it's like the reverse. It's like three to 6% of our population right. is in agriculture. And it's just because of mechanization, a tractor can do more than a, uh, than a cow. Um, sure. Down sure. south, um, the cotton gin uh, reduced down labor, but we just mechanized that more and more the harvesting. And we just didn't need the labor. And fortunately for the population, well, the Industrial Revolution made all these jobs and factories that needed people. So it was just a natural shifting from farm to industry. And now we're making another shift. We're shifting from industry to information. You are an example of the information age. You know, I mean, it's, it's I'm so flattered. I mean, yeah, so many people are now making their livings doing what you're doing. 
and uh, and um and that's only growing and we're learning how to do it better and better uh advertisers i'm from the field of marketing <laughs> we're still trying to figure out how to <clears throat> use you to sell products uh, and there's a lot of missteps um um <laughs> but that's normal that's when a new media you're going to make missteps because everyone's like, well, let's try this. You know, basically it's let's throw everything against the wall and see what sticks. Okay. Yeah, pretty much. That's yeah. And that's what they're doing. And it's like, Oh, these multi billion dollar and international corporations. know what they're doing. Nah, they're still throwing everything against the wall and seeing no. what sticks. No, no. You know, people don't understand. We're all just government is made of a people, major corporations made of people, just as flawed. Just if you if you think you're perfect, I think few people can say that they're not perfect. Mm. So, yeah. anyways, uh, I <clears throat> thought about how to correct this, how to get the federal government back to being not the the all powerful government that is giving the states because I um, our country is so varied. Um, it's yeah. not like um, Holland. Holland is is basically the same. You go from one end to the other end, and there's not much difference between the two. Right. From one end to another. Our country, we literally have swamps in Florida, snow-capped uh, mountains in Alabama, you know, Montana. We have earthquakes on the West Coast. We have blizzards in the Midwest. We have tornadoes. We have so many tornadoes in this country. We even caught tornado alley i mean that's we, we, when you say you know um in the mississippi we have floods um but all these different but the thing is is in each state they don't have all these things florida doesn't have blizzards florida doesn't have earthquakes no. florida doesn't have tornadoes but they do have hurricanes yeah. and that requires a different approach than a tornado or, or a blizzard which is my god like a Half an inch of snow hits Florida and everyone loses their mind, <laughs> you know, half an inch in, in the Midwest. And they don't even close down the schools. It's like, you know, <laughs> suck it up, buttercup, get your ass to school. You know? I mean, that's very true. Yeah. The you know, days and the days of like, being able to, oh, yeah, we can do this. I don't think that applies to everyone. And it, it's a, I don't say it's unfair, just system, but I do agree with your saying where it's like, Oh, we are United States, but we do have different geological, geographical differences. And so that's kind of what and for your state first amendments. Um, yeah. And we also have different industries. Some, some oh, yeah. are agricultural. Um, Florida, let's be honest about it. Florida is tourism. I mean, that tourism is the biggest industry in Florida. Oh, and I live yeah. there and I know that's literally what it is. It's, yeah. Is I mean, they have, they have oranges. Um, and I, I've been a trucker for the last five years. I've been a trucker and I've taken oddly, mm -hmm. I've taken oranges from Florida to California. I've taken oranges from California to Florida. Now they're different oranges, you know, they're, they're different varieties that grow in better in different environments. Sure. But I always thought it was kind of funny. I'm transporting oranges to another orange state and taking their oranges and transporting to the other orange state. Like, <laughs> that's so crazy like, you really taste the difference though i don't know if i ever tasted the difference between a california orange versus a florida orange. oh it's a different type they're they're different um they don't uh, taste different though right they're different they're different varieties Ooh. different varieties um uh grow better in different environments and oranges are very as you well know they're very temperamental you get a snow snap and they're out there lighting up 
bonfires, basically trying to keep the oranges from freezing, you know, and in California, they have the same problem, you know, Um, in California has a very dry yet uh, mountainous terrain, which is excellent for grapes, you know, so yeah, it's it's the wine. You don't understand that wine has to grow in a very hostile environment to create wine. Um, It's it's not a, you would not grow crops, you know, well, first of all, it's too too great of a slope. Um, It's just, but also they're not going to grow grapes and what you could make corn out of because it's just, there's a higher profit margin to doing that, you know, and grapes are just a, a gamble, you know. Um, well, every year you don't know what you're getting. That's why mm. if you have talked to connoisseurs, they talk about the year of that bottle and they might be another bottle from the re- year before. And I said, nah, that was, that was a bad year. Yeah. That could all be because it, they had a rainy season. It, uh, anyways, <laughs> um, I just believe that we have two varied of a, a country that one side that the federal government it believes in one size fits all. Okay. And rarely does that work, you know? And I do, I am not an anarchist. <laughs> A lot of people think libertarians are anarchists. Mm-hmm. I am not an anarchist. Um, I believe in government, but I just believe in a very limited role for government. I don't believe government should be using money to build a statue to some politician. I'm like, what? Why? Um, if his friends and family wanted to pay for that statue, that's great. But I don't think the taxpayer should be paying for his ego. Um, sure. So, yeah, and that happens all the time. We have federal government. You look at federal buildings that are made today. They're essentially they're palaces. They're, you look at federal courts and it's like, really, is a bench, two tables, and you can run a court. Okay, you look at the wild, how Wild West courts were done. They're done in a saloon. They just took over the saloon. Yeah, and and the judge sat at one table, defense um, on one prosecution at the other, and there. Yeah, but now look what we have is just palaces, you know, and always named after some politician that you know they're trying to kiss a, you know up to. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I digress. Well, let's I digress. Your, your state's first amendments, um, which is a really powerful and great um, kind of segue to go into, but also break down. Um, and you were nice enough to share it with us. So I just want to go by one by one and then maybe have you sure. kind of explain a little more about how you see it and at least let the audience know kind of what your outtake is on it. So for your to do first it. amendment, um, we have the first one, which is first section. Section Each state gets one vote in the U.S. Senate. That vote goes to that state's current governor. The current state governor can serve as the vice, uh, sorry, as the U.S. vice president, and governors cannot be compensated in any way or form for their services to the U.S. Senate or the office of the U.S. vice president. Explain to me more about how you come across this one. Well, I'm just bringing. Um, Congress in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. What we are doing right now, this video conference, okay, was not possible when the country was created. Okay. The country was created, the fastest mode of transportation of communication was horse or ship. And letters could take weeks, if not months, 
to route you, saying they even arrived to you. Okay, uh, go to the post office now, and you can have signature mail. At that time, that was actually a big deal because they had they had to trace it at each step. Um, we had to send U.S. senators and U.S. House representatives to Washington D.C. because there was no way we could do that over the mail. So they had to meet. But you have to also understand we were an agricultural country at that time. Even the northern states were an agricultural country at that time. Okay. So it was the almost all of Congress were farmers. Okay. And so they had to be home to farm. So spring they planted, summer they tended, uh, fall they harvest. After the harvest, those that were elected to Congress would then travel to Washington, D.C. before the roads became too muddy or frozen. Hmm. And then they did what was called winter. They wintered in Washington, D.C. And that's when Congress held their session. And they would they would all hunker down and come out in and where it's nice and warm. <laughs> and they'd argue whatever, <laughs> pass laws, et cetera. But then when spring hit and the roads thawed and they dried out, as soon as they dried out, Congress was... Um, the session in Congress was ended um, and all the delegates went back to tend their farms. Okay. Today, we have full time U.S. senators, full time U.S. House representatives. I don't know if any of them actually run a farm now. I don't think to my knowledge, I don't think any of them do. So, hmm. No. So they um, and Washington, D.C. is basically um, a Tuesday through Thursday city. Um, on Friday, the U.S. House of Representatives senators fly home to their districts because everything that they want to be part of is on the weekend. Parades, mm -hmm. county fairs, baseball games, football games, you know, in their trailer parks. Um, and then on Monday, they fly back to Washington, D.C. And that's why almost all, all important committee and subcommittee meetings happens Tuesday through Thursday in Washington, D.C. Wow. I enable the tell them through telecommute. Like what a lot of your listeners do now for work, you telecommute to work. You don't have, they don't have to be there. And so I enable the US centers to be in their home states. Well, they're to represent their states. Since they're already back in their home states, why do we have them, you know, scratching their butts there? When we had this other guy or gal and who actually everyone views their governor as the representation, the personal representation of their state. Um, there is, has not been a, a governor in our U.S. history that never viewed themselves as I represent my state. Yeah. Um, so why have it to U.S. senators? I've had some people say, well, so they can focus on federal legislation. All governors focus on federal legislation because when that law passes, oh my gosh, that's unbelievable ramifications on their state. That's why you have governors out there saying, I, I, I oppose this legislation. Or, oh, I want this legislation. Or we're an agricultural state. That's pro-industrial states. Where, where do we get our, our you know, why, why do they get so much benefits and we don't? You know, and just all, all around. Um, so I just eliminate the two of the U.S. senators because they're, they'd be scratching their butts at home anyways. And um, now with the section two, but um, with the governors, I make a hybrid politician. I make a federal politician and a state politician in one. Hmm. The U.S. Senate goes from 100 members to 50 members, one for each state. 
and that's the governors. And so um, this is going the same is going to apply to the next section. Um, but basically, what it is is that now the governors, well, you're the governor. What, what state are you in? I am in New York. Oh, you're in New York. Oh, but you were from Florida. Okay. Okay. You're the governor of New York. Okay. You have two bills coming at you. One's a federal bill for education and one's a state bill for education. Mm -hmm. In your state, you are the governor. Singular. In the U.S. Senate, my new U.S. Senate, you're one of 50 U.S. senators. Where do you have the most impact? Well, say the Senate, right? More of a voice, have a bigger audience. Well, I think you'd be the the state because you're the only governor, and you are the higher power of the state. Well, oh. we're in the Senate. You're one of fifty, and you're still arguing and debating and doing cases. Well, well, yeah, but you, but as governor, I really doubt you're arguing and debating with yourself in the governor in the governor's mansion. Well, I hope they're not doing that, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you are, then maybe we should have a little recall vote there. You right. know, <laughs> um, but, okay, yeah. So my feeling is is that what can because of this, and then maybe maybe you should read the second section because it, it's goes right into what you're saying. Um, yeah, each state's vote in the U.S. House of Representatives are equally divided amongst all the states' current state assembly members. Each current state assembly member is also a full member of the U.S. House of Representatives, and none of them can be compensated in any way or form for their services to the U.S. House of Representatives. Let's take, I don't know the, how many, unless you do, do you know how many member state assembly members are in your state? I, I shouldn't know this, but it's probably a good number. Okay, let's say it's 100. We're just easy math, easy math. Let's say it's not because New York actually has a lot of votes in the U.S. House of Representatives. So, yeah, but let's let's say just for discussion purposes that New York had just 10 votes in the U.S. House of Representatives. Okay. Well, you take those 10 votes divided by 100, each state assembly member gets 0.1% of a vote in the U.S. House of Representatives. So when they vote in the U.S. House of Representatives, all those fractions are added up, and then we find out who has the popular, who won the majority, and who didn't. Right. So now I have, again, and I've fired all current U.S. senators. And for the record, we have 26, which is still a lot. 26 House of Representatives for New York State. Yeah, that oh yeah, I mean you're one of the most populous. California was 53. Um so I think California be about the same because you're almost the same population. I think we are in a way. We gotta be. Well no, no, no. You had the most populous city City in the country. And maybe not because California also has San Francisco, it has San Diego, it has your New York is basically New York City, and and everything else is kind of minor. Where in California, San Francisco is a major metropolitan city. I saw San San Diego. Um, anyways, <laughs> yeah. Actually, I think just for the record, I think we have in California. Oh, California has a whopping fifty-two. Yeah, they used to have fifty-three. They lost one. Yeah, we lost one. Um, 
But for just easy um, discussion purposes, let's say you were from a state that only had 10 votes in, in the U.S. House of Representative and your state assembly had 100 members. Each state assembly member would have 0.1% of a 0.1 vote in the U.S. House of, of Representatives. Okay. And again, just like with governors, I create a dual politician, federal and state. And so let's say with my amendments, U.S. Senate would shrink from 100 to 50. Mm-hmm. U.S. House of Representatives would expand from 435 to 5,462. Wow. That's how many state assembly members are nationwide. Right. Okay. So you, I, I, I have impeached you and removed you from office. You are no longer governor. Damn it. But you went in heck and you won. You came back to spite me and you <laughs> came back as a state assembly member. And now you're a state assembly member in your state assembly that has a hundred members. Okay. Two legislative bills are coming at you. An edu- federal education bill and a state education bill. Where do you have the most impact in your state assembly where you're one of a hundred or in the U S house of representatives where you're one of 5,462. Oh, your state, obviously. Yeah. Your state. So my feeling is without having to pass, I don't directly address the general welfare clause or the commerce clause because then we're playing whack-a-mole. Okay. I put no matter what wording I'm going to put in there, there's going to be a weasel lawyer going, but if you look at it from then, you know, it's like Obi-Wan from well, a certain point of view. You know, right. um, so just like they did with how they got the work pre of the welfare clause and the commerce clause from a certain point of view, um, they were able to crack in the dam. So I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to create another game of whack-a-mole. I just changed how government operates in a way. I create a federal state politician. And I think what's going to happen is, is that there are going to be some functions that can only be done at the federal level. Okay. Um, national defense, by and large, done to federal level. Not completely. Um, there's National Guard, which is misleading because it's actually State Guard, because yeah. the head of the National Guard is the governor, but we call it National Guard. Uh, for you viewers who don't know, there is the reserves. Every state has a reserve, and that is actually controlled by the president. The the reserve, the military reserve, the army reserve, air force reserve, you know, blah, blah, blah. Our control, the head person of that is the president of the United States. The the National Guard in the state is headed by the governor and answers to the governor. Um, The president cannot take control over the National Guard unless it is a national crisis. Uh, um, We are being invaded, okay, by another country. He cannot call it for a tornado. You cannot call for a hurricane. You cannot call for an earthquake. That is what the governor is for. And they're very clear delineation. And that's where we have the situation in Texas is, well, who controls the border? That border is Texas border, but it's also the U.S.'s border. Now, the U.S. Supreme Court has said, well, that's the U.S. border. But the state's saying, yeah, but it's also our border. So who controls what? And and people also have to understand this is an election year. There's a lot of politicking going on. So, wow. so you know, a lot of this is theater. 
Um, and, and the stupid statements have been made by both sides. I think the stupidest one was by Biden that he would nuke Texas. No, we would then take him out. We'd take the president out and shoot him in the street. If he nuked the state, it would just, it would be, that would never happen. Okay. He's yeah. never going to send an F-15 against any state. He would, he'll be impeached in a heartbeat, you know? Yes. Yeah. So anyways, um, my feeling is, is that then the federal government is going to be reduced down. I mean, we have so much duplication at the federal level. We have a Jimmy Carr brought about the Department of Education. Every state has a Department of Education. Okay. We have a federal Department of Interior. Every state has a Department of Interior. They call it maybe something different, but there are national parks, national preserves, national reserves. There are state parks. There are state reserves. There are state preserves. Hey, there are county versions of those. There are municipal versions. There are literally municipal Go if you're well, you're in New York. If you're in New York City, go around. There are actually municipal preserves in your city. Oh, sure, sure. There are city parks yeah. all over. I know they're municipal parks, but everybody likes calling city park because it's easier to say. But that's a municipal level government. Um, so there's a lot of duplication of the state governments by the federal government because of this warped reading of the general welfare clause and the commerce clause. My thing comes in, I'm not directly dealing with this is by the way, my thing is not a Republican amendment. Mine is not a Democratic amendment. It's not a libertarian amendment. It just changes how government operates. I believe with this change that the federal government, I think personally, if I was a, I'm not a betting man, but if I was a betting man, <laughs> I think the federal government is going to be reduced down to three departments. It's going to be defense, yeah. the state department. And for your viewers who don't know, the state department has nothing to do with states. The state <laughs> department is our diplomacy department. This is how we interact with other countries. I know just like national guard and we have a state department. It's like, Come on, guys. Seriously. Anyways, but also then we have the treasury because we print money. Now, back in our history, every state used to print their own money. Okay. Yeah. And we had counterfeiting problems like crazy. But why we have federal government is if you saw how, if you find out how expensive the printing presses are at the federal level, maybe New York and California could could afford it, but I tell you what, my state of Wisconsin be going. Ha, 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 uh, we yeah. can fund how many schools with that money? No, we're not. We're, we're not. We're fine with it. So I don't. And I also take my mine doesn't change. Mine takes government as is, and then changes it. It doesn't. I'm not bringing about the Article Confederation. I think the states are going to go. Yeah, let's just keep one currency. Okay, it's easier. It's simpler. We can invest. Unbelievable amounts of money into that printing press. I mean, your viewers should sometimes look at a video of how the anti-counterfeiting measures in your the dollar bill in your pocket is insane. Microfilaments, they got strips running through them. They you can you take a pen and you I'm sure people have ever given a dollar $20 bill to a cashier and they take out a pen and go like that because yeah. if it's fake, it will turn a different color. But if it's a real one, it has a different color, so it's like a quick check. Can you counterfeit it? Yes, but to do that requires the hard. You can't do that with a Xerox copy. No, okay, unless you get the paper that is made of. And by the way, 
Paper money is an is another term. People, you're, it's not paper money you have in your pocket. It's actually cloth money. That is cotton. Okay, that is fabric that you have in your pocket. That's why they last so long. That's why you can have a, a dollar bill go through your washer and, yeah. your, and your sales receipt will just disintegrate and you your know, dollar bill will hold shape. That's so true. I, that's, I, wow, I didn't think of that. That's actually. Yeah, that's why it's made out of. That's why it's not made out of paper. That's why counterfeiters are making out paper. But we switched it over and there's a special, special paper that you cannot get. And if you get, just I think merely possessing the paper is a, a federal crime. Jesus. The paper, yeah, look, look, just take out a dollar bill, ignore the printing on it, and just look at the paper itself. That is uniquely made paper. Anyways, I doubt if we'll ever we'll go back to the state currencies because it also require a majority vote of the rest of the states to go, yeah, let's break it apart and have all this these headaches. Um and does that lead into your third part where we talk about, um, I'll, I'll read it off, um, all U.S. senators can propose and vote on legislative bills from their states. All U.S. House of Representatives can propose and vote on legislative bills from their districts and their state's capital. And all congressional committee and subcommittee meetings must be conducted by way of video conferencing. This is a part of this section is a parliamentary rules section. Okay. Um, read up our history of our Senate. <laughs> it's just, oh my God. I love the they will literally, they, okay. that's, that's good. They literally have willed MP senators on their deathbeds no. to vote in the U.S. Senate. They did just recently with Feinstein. That's, I consider that elder abuse. I mean, to vote, they have to be on the floor. They have to be on the floor to propose a bill. They have to be on the floor to second a bill. Um, I had my, my home state is Wisconsin. There was a U.S. Senator um, Feingold. Feingold, I think it was Feingold. He, I wrote a letter to the editor one time talking about we should have Congress telecommute to, to work. Right. Got a lot of press, got an interview by AP. Um, he didn't say it, but when he ran for office, he put his campaign platform on his garage door. You could drive by his house and read his entire campaign platform. I think he had a two-car garage. So you could read his entire campaign platform on his garage door. And one of them was, I'll tell commute to work. I'll stay here. And I believe that's because of my letter to the editor. Anyway, that's just my own ego. Sorry. Um, when he got elected, Congress, the Senate said, oh, sure, you can, you can. I mean, guy, you can tell commute to work, uh, but if you want to propose a bill or vote, you have to be here. Mm. So they weren't going to change. So Feingen moved to Washington, D.C. Parliamentary rules. I just take out this parliamentary rules. Um, also, that's why the House of Representatives can vote and propose bills in their district. In other words, the state capital session is uh, their state assembly is out of session, so they're back in their district. But also, they can vote in uh, their capital because when they're in session, well, that's where they are. They're in their state capital. Now, uh, senators don't need that because, well, they're the whole state. They can be anywhere, and state capital is just one of them. Okay. Um, so, and, and uh, the whole uh, video conference is just to, to get us to have a public record. 
just uh, there are little sentences in this thing that uh, all community and subcommittees have to be done by video conferencing. This is just a try to get some of the backdoor uh, politics, not so backdoor. Um, just like in the first section, I have where current governing can serve as U.S. Vice President. Right. U.S. Vice President is literally the most meaningless political office in history in the world. I mean, I, I, there was a comedian, famous comedian called Will Rogers. And he made his joke. The vice president has the best job in the world. The only thing he has to do is wake up every morning and say, I was the president. And that's it. So um, I believe having a back when we had horse and ship as fast as means of transportation, there might have been a purpose for the vice president. I really doubt it, but now we don't. Okay. As um, if the president was assassinated in Alaska and the vice president was in Florida Keys. Okay. Right. He would know about it instantly. Okay. He would, the power would be transferred to him. He'd be sworn in into office wherever he was. Okay. They grab the nearest Bible or, or whatever, put a hand on it, but like this. I mean, you want to see the most classic and sad swearing in is the swearing of Lyndon Johnson after John F. Kennedy was assassinated because right next to him is Mrs. Kennedy and she still has a dress where it's blood spattered from her husband's killing. And you look at him and you want to see a man who has just realized the weight of the nation has fallen on his shoulders. Look at the face of Lyndon Johnson when he's being sworn in. I think it just is hitting him what's, what has now just happened. No one's cheering. No one's happy. It is somber. And no one should. I mean, if you, you know, but anyways, I think a current governor is about um, a good uh, job for the president because essentially you're you're learning how to be an executive of, of a political body as same as the president is. And so this just makes is again, parliamentary rule, because a lot of people, well, if you, if let's say Trump made Randis uh, DeSantis, his vice president, many, I mean, everyone would say you have to give up your governorship to be, to be the president. But what does the vice president do? It's only whatever the president gives him to do. You read the history of the vice presidents. There are vice presidents that, are, that were never told anything. Okay. Lyndon Johnson was the Kennedys hated Johnson. Johnson was a complete, I'm sorry, he was a complete asshole. Okay. I mean, he whipped out his, male member at whenever he could because it was legendary let's just call that he would take a he'd do a number one in front of others just to show off his male body part okay but he was also not he was an exhibitionist when he had that gastric surgery he showed pictures of how that gigantic scar he had so he was an you know (laughs) i would never be his no, no, no one's going to see that scar on me. Um, so anyways, getting back to this, it's just a section three is just a parliamentary rules. It takes away. Well, you have to be here anyways, because right now, if um, you have to physically be on the floor of the Senate and U.S. House representatives to introduce a bill into their chamber. Literally, the Speaker of the House has to recognize you. You say, you say, I am now proposing this. There has to be another member. Usually, if you want to have, have any chance of success, it has to be a member of the opposite party. If you're Republican, you have a Democrat. Yeah. And I second that. They're trying to say this is a bipartisan vote. 
but both of you have to be in that chamber to do that. Same thing in the Senate. Yeah. I just, as a parliamentary taking that, taking that way that away. So that's just all that is. Um, if you want to go to the next section. Yeah. And we talk about the next section is the most popular section of all. Well, uh, the vast majority I, of people love it. I'm also, maybe I'm shocked by this and you go into this, but it says the U S president must physically visit every state in the union and U S territory at least once a year. Now, maybe I'm ignorant to this, but isn't that what they normally do anyway? It's only when they're camping. <laughs> Okay, let me give you a little bit of history. The first president to visit all the states was George Washington. He felt that the who he felt that the people should see who's governing him. So he traveled by carriage to every state. Before he entered the city, he got out of his carriage because he was famous for his white horse. He got out of his carriage, got on his horse, no matter how sick he was. Uh, he died, almost died uh, a few times during his first term. Uh, it was so bad that in Philadelphia, which was what our first capital was, they put hay in the streets in front of his residence to not wake him. But anyways, he felt he needed the public should see. So he'd get on his horse and then ride in to the city So because that's what people expected. I mean, like Donald Trump, you expect him in a blue suit with a red tie. Okay, if he showed up in a t-shirt and, and gym shorts, he'd be like, who the hell are you, bud? You know? You know? <laughs> um, so, but that was his image. The next president to visit all 50 states, can you guess? Oh, God, I'm going to get this wrong. 50 states, all 50 states. I was. Remember the Civil War? Just Abraham Lincoln? No. No, I, 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 I misled you. Nixon. Nixon. Really? Nixon was the next president to visit all states while he was president. Oh, and he didn't visit any, he didn't visit the U.S. territories. Wow. I feel that presidents should get out and about and see the country. Now, here's a fun little fact. There are 52 weeks in a year. Correct. There are 50 states. I'm going to vet everything I own and will own. And have owned, if I could take it all back, that every state is going to say to the president, we get you for one week, period. The president is going to go and spend one week in every state because think of what that means to the state. The whole nation's attention is going to come on that one state for one week a year. They're going to tout him around like a show pony. Here's our tourist attraction. Look at our new factory that we built. Hey, here's a new bridge we have. Every Senate state assembly member is going to use whatever political capital they have. And I don't care how deeply Democrat they are and there's a Republican president or how deeply Republican they are and there's a Democrat president. They're going to want the president to go into their district so they can have shake his hand in front of their local monument or whatever. Just like, I don't care how like today Trump gets reelected to office. I don't care. Uh, Newsom. I hate him. Man, not really personally, but publicly he's supposed to hate him. Okay. Um, but I tell you what, when Trump flies into California, that governor's joined there and going to shake their hand because um, you're respecting the office. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, just like um, the president's not going to flip the bird as a governor because at, at that time he is representing his state. And just and so I think before the cameras, they might really, really hate Trump, but they're also going to want, hey, you better be in our state because I want the national attention for me to tell everyone how much I hate you. Okay. And vice versa for Republicans with, with Biden. Um, and then there's two two weeks left over. And I think those are going to be divvied up amongst the territories, um, depending on how you define the territories. Um, obviously, one's going to go to Puerto Rico. Um, but there's also U.S. Virgin Islands. Um, there, there's a, there's a, um, I forget the other, some alliance, I think it is. Um, but they're going to, that president's not going to take a week for of those, but they'll get at least a day because the president can sleep on Air Force One. Their, Air Force One has a king size bed, I think is king size, in the, in it for the president to sleep. Now, everyone else on board and they don't get their own beds. <laughs> they're sleeping like, you know, in uh, airplane train, airplane, uh, airline seats, but they're not complaining because they are on Air Force One. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's, in and of itself, I fly in Air Force One is prestige alone. But so the president, to view all the U.S. territories, well, when he flies over to uh, Hawaii, who's going to demand that he spend a week in there, well, he's already there. So he can fly overnight, sleep on the plane, show up in Guam, okay, do at least a day in Guam. I'm thinking that for Guam, Puerto Rico, Virgin Islands, these have actually populations, a large populations. He'll probably spend maybe two, three days. Then there are smaller territories, but he'll probably spend at least one day there. Why not? You're flying there anyways. You fly in, you wake up, you land. I think for our territories, I think them getting a chance to see the president in their territory is, is a good thing because it's all to lead up to this section. Oh, yes. Okay. So I'm intrigued with this one. Um, it says Capitol, the Capitol Hill building is no longer a functional building of the U.S. Congress. The White House is no longer the resident or office of the U.S. president. And both were made national monuments and turned over to the Smithsonian Institute for Preservation, Historical Research, and Public Tours. The District of Columbia is stripped of its federal status and returned to the state of Maryland. Hmm. I kill DC. I don't drain the swamp. I, <laughs> I nuke it. Just it be done with it all together. Just done with it. Done with it. No, there is a Supreme Court. Okay. They do meet there. Um, but already, okay, Congress. Hey, let's say the governor. Okay. Mm-hmm. You're the governor of New York. Okay. If you change your residence to DC, how fast would the recall um, campaign happen by both parties to get you the heck out of the governor's chair? Less than a New York minute. Yes. Yes. No governor, unless he's insane. Although uh, with uh, Fetterman, maybe they should have a heart attack because he seems he seems to be better now than he was before the the stroke. Um, unless that governor wants to no longer be in office, no governor is going to relocate their home to Washington D.C. It'd be it's political suicide. Oh, yeah. Same thing for a, a U.S. A state assembly member to say I'm going to relocate my home to Washington D.C. There'll be a recall. Um, 
in New York minute, there'll be a recall in his district to get rid of him. Wow. Okay. Um, I'm from the state of Wisconsin. There was a U.S. House representative. He sat, uh, he was the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, the most powerful, prestigious committee you can have. He had unbelievable power. You know, longtime member, connections everywhere. He didn't feel that he needed to come back and campaign for re-election. He stayed in Washington, D.C. He felt, I'm doing so much for you. I get us all this stuff. I, I have power. Except they kicked him out. <laughs> Klug, K-L-U-G, a local newscaster, ran as Republican. And basically, he just basically ran, I'm here. I'm not, you know, they're always like, I'm too good for you. I don't, I live in Washington, D.C. So he got kicked out. So anyways, so Congress is not going to, the congressmen are not going to be in Washington, D.C. anymore. No. Section four, I, the president is out roaming around from state to state. He'll say, he'll, when he's in a state, he'll very likely stay in one of their military bases which will very, very likely get a major security upgrade before he shows up. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So he'll be there. He's not Washington, D.C. Um, and so what, the only thing left there is basically well, the bureaucracy, but Congress doesn't care really about them, you know, where they are at. Um, and there's a Supreme Court. Well, the Supreme Court doesn't give a shit what anyone thinks about them. I mean, to even, you know, there's no spectator chamber in the Supreme Court to get in the Supreme Court. Man, you got to have credentials. You have to be something like a constitutional lawyer or a scholar. Um, so they, they operate their own little world. And I personally believe if this were to happen. Now, they might stay in Washington, D.C. That might be where the Supreme Court will always hold a session. But here's my bet. I think the Supreme Court is going to be politically wise enough. Mm -hmm that they will have it be a roaming Supreme court that every, that each time they come into session, they'll move to another state and hold their session there as a way to tip their hat to that state and the importance of that state. And I think it'd be great PR for the Supreme court to do that. And all, all state governments have their own Supreme court. Okay. And I personally believe that, well, I, it can, might not have, but what I think would happen is I think the state Supreme Court would simply not be in session. So the Supreme Court can take over their court and run it. And then when they leave, then the, the state Supreme Court takes back over, over that, that courthouse. Um, so there's no reason for it. Um, if, um, if people look at a map and they see Washington, D.C., it looks like, a, you know, um, a brownie that had a bite taken out of it. Uh, yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. But the reason for that is the Civil War. When Virginia was part of the Confederacy, they they left that used to be a square, which was by the way, surveyed by George Washington. He was a surveyor in his life. So a survey it used to be a square. When the Civil War after Civil War got done, well, the 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 White House the section that we have today well the White House was only in that section so it was the Capitol so it was the Supreme Court so there's no reason to bring back that take back that chance of of um, land you know right. and 
right now there's a movement trying to make the D.C. the 51st state because they actually can't vote in federal elections. We hear about that, yeah. <laughs> well, there's no need for us in D.C. anymore because Congress is telecommuting the president's roaming and very likely also Supreme Court roaming. So there's really no reason. So just strip it of its federal status, which was to prevent it from a state from influencing the federal government and return to, to Maryland. Maryland state capital is Annapolis. I, my bet is that it won't move to D.C. because the uh, state politicians don't want the stink of D.C. on them. And that's, that's, and that's common. Uh, you're in New York. New York. New York City is not the state capital of the state of New York. That's, you know, I'm from Wisconsin. Milwaukee, which is the largest population of Wisconsin, is not the state capital. That's Madison. You know, Illinois, Chicago's not the state capital. That's, um, I think, the Plains. Um, so it's not, it would be nothing for Washington, D.C. to be the largest city in Maryland. And now all those people that are in Washington, D.C. can now vote in the Maryland elections and vote for the federal election. So, but this is... Um, just changing our government, telecommuting, um, getting it to slim down, re- reducing the duplication. Now, the last section um, talks about how to become a state. Okay, let's go into that. Um, any country can become a U.S. territory if two thirds in an open and free nationwide uh, referred them vote to do so. After at least five years as a U.S. territory, a U.S. territory can become a U.S. state if at least two-thirds of its population can read, write, and conserve an American verse in American English to an eighth-grade level, and then at least two-thirds vote in a favor in an open and free territory-wide referendum. Any U.S. state or territory can secede from the USA by a simple majority vote in an open and free state territory-wide referendum. Wow. Now, I, this makes me think of something. If a state wanted to leave the in, in today's current political climate, if a state, and I think of California because it's the biggest, wanted to leave the United States, I mean, I don't think that's even possible, right? Mm. Um, technically by this amendment it would be possible i don't think it would happen but let's say they do let's say california leaves um california receives insane amount of benefits from this country yes now some people say well they actually receive less tax dollars than the federal tax dollars than they spent than they uh they pay yes but there's a little thing called water they bring water from the other states. Okay. You're no longer part of our country. We're not going to give you the same deals. Okay. We have power flowing into them from Oregon, from Nevada. Um, we're, we're not going to give you the same. We don't have to. You're a foreign country now. And we really want to screw with them. We can, we can say, oh, yeah, you know those uh, movies you make? We'll, we'll allow eight of them to come to the United States a year. So we kill off Hollywood. Okay. Um, their agriculture goes to the tank because uh, without the rest of the country supporting it, um, they're going to have a real hard time. Um, but let's say the most likely one right now, if there was one, I don't think it is, but if the most likely one is actually uh, New Hampshire. 
Really? Uh, there are lib- yes, there are libertarians that are moving to New Hampshire to try to succeed from the United States of America. Oh. They're, they're a tiny minority. Uh, right now, there's Texas. It's called Texas. 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 Okay. You know, like Brexit, you know, yeah. Texas. Um, and, and, but, and they, and that's because of Biden and, and, um, but when Trump was in office, California wanted to exit. Okay. But look what happened. California exiting the country. No one talks about that now because Biden's in office. When Trump comes back into office, no one in Texas is going to say we want to leave the nation. Okay. It's all, it's a a vocal minority on Twitter. Okay. Um, That talk about that. But when you poll the people, the vast majority of people are not going to look at, look at what happened in the United Kingdom. You know, oh, Scotland, I want to leave the lead. They had a referendum. No, they don't. The majority of people don't. I like it how it is. Um, I think that's how, but could there be? Yes. But let's just be honest about it. In New Hampshire leaves, what do we even notice? I mean, I think you might be right. I mean, yeah. California, we might notice. Texas, we might notice. Okay. But are they going to leave? No. 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 Okay. Um, but I, in our country, we have this phrase, love it or leave it. Okay. This section six is a love it or leave it amendment. Because that last sentence, you know, you want to leave? Now, this is really for territories. Okay. Um, the, the, this section is really taking the dirty politics out of what becomes a territory and what becomes a state. If you look at our history, um, you know, Missouri, you know, the think of the the shape of Missouri. There's what's called the Missouri heel. There's a little, little part that just dips down into, I think, Louisiana. That was brought about by because of dirty politics of one man because he owned land in that section and he wanted to be part of Missouri. Dirty politics. We have this thing called the Bill of Rights. OK, people consider it very important. I do. There's this thing called freedom of religion considered a very few people argue about that. Utah wanted to join the United States. Utah territory used to be massive. Just uh, everything you think basically, <laughs> actually west of the Mississippi was the Utah territory is massive. It kept on, but it kept on states kept on being carved out of it, carved out of it, carved out of it, until we we're down to what we have Utah today. That's what remains of the Utah territory. And it tried to join the United States of America. Congress said, no, can't, unless you outlaw polygamy. Whoa. Polygamy is part of their religion, just like it is part of Islam. Okay. Yeah. The state really wanted to join the United States. So in Utah, polygamy is, is illegal, even though it's part of their religion. Not that it stopped really anything. I mean, sister wives reality shows are everywhere. Okay. But what they're doing technically, I think it's still illegal. I'm not sure. But that was Congress violating our Bill of Rights, telling another territory what you had to ha- had to be to join our country. I think that's really wrong. And, there, and that doesn't even talk about what California did. California, I think they want to break up into four different parts. California says one or is all or nothing. Texas the same way. Texas is actually an independent nation for a very short period of time. 
and both independent nations simply so they could then join the United States as a state. I think they wanted to break up California into four different states. California said not as well. And we'll take this and we'll take these mountains because it's all at that time we wanted their gold. The nation wanted their gold. And so they were in the bargaining position. Utah, there's nothing in Utah. There's, there's <laughs> nothing in Utah. They had no bargaining position. They had an unpopular religion. So the Congress could dick around with them, but California, now we have gold. Okay. We'll take you as is. That's the why California is the size of it is. That's why uh, Texas is the size of it is. Now, the reason why Alaska is the size of it is, is because, well, a lot of people didn't want it in the first place. <laughs> so we're not going to break this. Oh, they did. Uh, it was called, what was the president's thing that signed it? His folly. It was called his folly. And they, they thought it was outrageous that we pay like three cents on, on uh, three cents an acre for Alaska. They thought it was outrageous that we were paying that. Uh, now we have this little stuff called gold. Hmm. I mean, not gold, oil. We have a little, little bit of oil out there. Uh, they're worth a little bit more than three cents an acre. So anyways, um, but this just makes it easy for them and it makes it harder. It makes it harder to join the country than it is to leave the country. And I think that's better. Um, a simple, uh, majority vote is 50% or better. A super majority vote is 60% or better. Two thirds is 66.66 infinity vote. It's really hard to pass that. Okay. They passed that. That was a really strong desire that they want to join the country. But then they have to learn to English to an eighth grade level, which is what all newspapers are written at is at the eighth grade level. Oh. Um, it's just because that's what it was. Um, high school used to be a, when you graduated from high school, it was actually eighth grade, uh, simply because of World War One that we had high schools is so that the returning World War One veterans had jobs could have jobs. That's why you have high school. Um, anyways, and then they have to, again, pass another referendum. They have to really say, we really want to join this country, but then the only have, and also you think about it, they're joining the country. If it's just a simple majority, you're talking about a civil war. Mm. Two thirds. This is hard to have a civil war when two thirds are saying, hey, at least two thirds are saying we want to join. Yeah. And that's why I also have so they can leave. They only have to have a simple majority because, again, they would have a civil war within their, their territory. They're part of us. They have five years to, to know, feel what it's like to be part of the United States. We're not changing to them. They're changing to us. So if they don't like it. They can have a referendum and leave. They, mm -hmm. I personally would love to be there for them when they join and even when they leave. Say, hey, thanks for giving us a try. Come back again. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, also, if there's countries that are, I uh, complain, oh, you want to ask questions? Sorry. No, I was going to say, I, I, this is just so profound and so great. And you're so right about some of these things where it's like, you know, we think we have one version of what we think we understand something, but yet I always appreciate, and uh, this is why I think I do what I do is that. Oh, is my video off? Sorry. It's yeah. It was more of like just being able to, um, really open your mind to just insight to how things go. You know, it's just this idea of like, we think we have one way of doing things, but it's okay to think of other aspects of doing these things and not have to fit into a box of either red or blue or, you know, it's just, it's just groundbreaking. So I just, I'm just thanking you, give me your kudos for, for saying that. Cause it's just, it's just do I expect this to happen? No. Oh, no, but here's the thing. It's, 
all it takes is a movement. You know, we had a lot of these shifts throughout our life. And, and what I do, I think I do appreciate at least about America and my mindset is that it is a, I was talking to my friend about this, it's a very can do for majority of people to really get out and do something and really make something of themselves, which we don't really have, or which you probably don't see a lot in other countries, which probably does happen. But I feel like America's model is always, we can do it. You know, we can shape it. We can change it. So I think, oh, just like American, look at entrepreneurship in Europe and your entrepreneurship in America. Uh, in entrepreneurship in Europe, they might try to do it once. They fail is a public disgrace. They, they, the entrepreneurs never come back. They'll go back to doing a job. In yeah. America, you have a failure. Okay, well, you, we are can-do society. Well, we'll try again. Yeah. I'll try again. Yeah. I'll try again. A lot of our... Our overnight successes took decades to happen. A lot of our, oh, super successful, highly intelligent entrepreneurs had multiple failures in their past. Yeah. Um, this is one like criticism of Trump. Oh, he had failed businesses. Well, that's because he's an American entrepreneur. You don't, you don't quit when you fail. You pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and go at it again. Um, in, in our, the, uh, for like this amendment here, um, could it succeed? Maybe, maybe not. I think the the biggest thing that why it wouldn't succeed is this is a power grab. This would be a power grab. Never stand between a politician and more power. Oh, yes. Okay. Well, what do I do? I give the governors more power. I give them essentially right now two votes in the U.S. Senate. I give U.S. House State Assembly members power in in the U.S. House of Representatives. They don't have that now. Okay. The states can call a constitutional convention without the permission of Congress or the president. So they can just take this power if they want it. But also the U.S. senators, this is a power grab for them. Yes, I kicked them out of their job. But they've already won a statewide election. That's how they became U.S. senators. If you don't think they will turn around and look at, at the governor going, I can defeat him. He's a moron. Okay. And then you talk about those states that have term limits. That governor, The current governor might not even be able to run again. Okay. So all those U.S. senators who won statewide elections, they've, they'll feel, yeah, I can, I can win the governorship. And then there are states that like uh, there are six states with one U.S. House of Representative, Wyoming, Alaska. Well, they've won statewide election to become a U.S. House of Representative. You don't think they can take on the governor? Yeah, they think they can take on the governor. In fact, there's six with one state, one U.S. House of Representative, two with two U.S. House of Representatives, two states with three House of Representatives, and six states with four U.S. House of Representatives. If you own a quarter of a state already, do you think you could take the rest? I think uh, betting odds. You bet. So I think this is a power grab. I'm not playing to politicians' better nature. I'm playing to their worser nature. They want more power. So this would be a power grab by the states, by the U.S. senators, and by 50 members of the U.S. House of Representatives, which is 11% of the U.S. House of Representatives. And the states still have the threat. I don't care what you Congress and the president say. We can hold a constitutional convention and force this down your throat anyways. So... And hate your current U.S. senator or House representatives, et cetera. I fire all of them with this. It's getting clean out. They're gone. They're gone. Try try to get reelected as a governor. Yeah, you know. Anyway, it's. I I just hope to have it be. I love to have it be part of the public discourse at this stage. Yeah, I love that. And um, I want to deep dive a little bit before we uh, wrap up. 
about your marketing experience. Now, you did talk about, about the story. So you talked about the one postcard story. Give me some insight in our audience about how the one postcard kind of marketing campaign can be so powerful and so transcending to how simple it is, but also how powerful it is. Um, I've been a marketer for 30 years. Um, I've been a marketing consultant. Uh, I specialized in advising CEOs on their marketing plans that were presented to them. I would review them and then I would meet with the, the CEO, prep him on it so that when he had his meeting with either the outside marketing firm or his internal marketing firm, he sounded like he knew what he was talking about. Uh, unless the CEO came from marketing, they typically don't have a good handle on marketing. That's why they hire someone like me uh, to prep them and also get raised questions, et cetera. Um, it makes them sound intelligent. Um, it's all about <laughs> CEOs are kind of like presidents. Uh, they have an image that they have to project and that's being one of them is all knowing all wise. Um, my other specialty was barter. Um, this is something that's not taught in colleges. Uh, it's something that the federal government, state governments and local governments do not talk, try to talk about at all um, because there's no way to really tax a barter deal. And most barter deals are never reported. Um, because it's, and if they were, um, I can devalue something in a barter to where it's worth nothing. Okay. okay. Um, when advising businesses, especially small businesses, I am, I've been a long advocate of the postcard. It is the most effective form of advertising that a small business, medium, and large business can ever do, even to this day. Uh, and I'm talking about a physical postcard. I'm not talking about you and what you send in an email, physical postcard. Yeah. This is, you have highly, uh, postcards are highly targeted. There are mailing lists that will give you exactly what you want. Mm-hmm. And you may have to pay extra, but it gives you to get a very small list. But that small list is, a, is your prime customers. And by saying out a postcard, uh, the the biggest hurdle all businesses have, all businesses, regardless what they are, is getting customers to try you. Okay, mm-hmm. this is why when you walk into a grocery store, they're handing out free samples of this food and that food. Here's free, have it. You know, oh, and some people, oh, I can't have more one. No, here, have another one. Because they want you to get over that hurdle. And it's a huge hurdle to get you over. Um, yeah. The truth of the matter is, is that they, they target uh, bachelor men. Um, really, what they, the, look at what they serve on the grocery store. That's a bachelor men would actually eat. True. Summer sausages, bratwurst, hot dogs. Here's a new dip. <clears throat> Here's a new chip dip. Here's a new salsa. Because even to this day, um, men are not trained by their mothers or their fathers on what to buy. Young women typically are. Women typically, women, the product they use is the product their mother used. And they use, the mother used that product because their mother used it. It was only when that product category was new that they then made their, their um, choices. What And then their daughter copies. Now, I know I'm going to get listeners. I don't do anything that my mother does. Yes, yes, I know. I know. But the majority of women copy their mothers uh, on what they buy. But a postcard is to get them to try it. Okay. Uh, Let's say you own a movie theater, a new movie theater in a city. 
And then, yes, there's a lot of people that will come there because there's a new movie theater, but there's other ones that will only go to their own movie theater because that's the one they know. They know, they know the person that sells the tickets, the one behind the counters, they, you know, they, they're familiar with it. So getting them to break their habit, well, that's where the postcard comes in. Here's a free coupon for a free movie, popcorn and a soda for two. And yeah. so, especially senior citizens, and you can even get them to you want to train senior citizens to only come matinees. It's only good for matinees. Um, but they'll come in, they'll try it. Restaurants. Oh my gosh, it's so hard for restaurants to do this. And so few restaurants do this. I commonly, when I was a marketing consultant, would come into mar- restaurants and ask them, have you ever done a coupon campaign, uh, a postcard coupon campaign? Right. 100% of the ones I went in, none of them did. Never once. Wow. And then I just sit down and says, okay, we're going to have a coupon. You know, we're going to give them a free meal. And then they're like, oh, my gosh, you know, this cause et cetera. OK, you know. How are you going to get them in here? How are you going to get them to try? You know, well, I'll give them a discount. No, that still has them paying you. They don't know what your food is worth. They, oh, 50 percent off. How do I know you didn't jack it up 20, double the price? And now you're charging 50 percent, which is really common in retail, by the way. You know, <laughs> this, oh, we have 50 percent sale. If you went there a week before, it was half the price what it is now. <laughs> yeah, and, and there's other businesses that are forever sales. This one sale ran into another sale. They don't even take out the sales stickers. Some of them are so bad, the sales labels are a little sales thing are faded because of the sun. <laughs> but but that's what you get for a coupon. You send that coupon out targeted to what you think would actually be the people that would actually travel far enough to your restaurant. Don't if 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 you're in New York City, don't send coupons down to Miami. Okay, they're never going to come up. <laughs> Maybe one that's visiting the relative will come up. Yeah. But no, if you're in New York City, you're going to do like basically your neighborhood. How far is your typical range? And different restaurants have different ranges. Uh, Starbucks, its range is, I think, like four blocks. Okay, how far someone was willing to travel to it. But you have a unique restaurant. They might be willing to travel across town for that. Okay. Sure. But they're not going to come from Chicago. No. So you figure out who you want to have, and then you set up these coupons, and that's your marketing budget. And then they come on in. Does this mean all of them are going to be your customers? No. No, you're you're if you're, you're lucky to get one percent. Okay. But with the coupon one, you get a high. Okay. When you sell up postcards, having a one percent um, response rate is considered average. Two percent is considered golden. Three percent is considered fantastic, unless that is a postcard that gives them something free with no strings attached, a free meal, free drink, no strings attached, a free movie, popcorn and soda, no strings attached. Those get sometimes up to a hundred percent usage. Typically in the eighty category, but that's a lot different than one to three percent. Okay. But you're giving them something free for away, but that's how you get them to come in and give you a try. And, and if you're a, if you're, um, I'm from Wisconsin, there we have a a tourist trap, uh, a tourist destination called Wisconsin Dells. Okay. Um, if you, if I was a business up in Wisconsin Dells, I'd be saying postcards down to Chicago. Milwaukee, Minneapolis, Minnesota, because that's the people that are coming to vacation at Wisconsin Dells. I wouldn't be saying to New York because I'm just a regional uh, tourist trap. Okay. Um, 
But if I was Disney and I had Disney World, I, my postcards might be massive, but I'd be going after the, the high, high value customer to make that worry throughout the while. But anyways, that's, that's what the postcard, I mean, just like marketing is a, as a marketing is an umbrella concept um, under the umbrella concept. It has, it has three stages that it goes through. There's um marketing plan. And then you come out of the marketing plan and you should be doing public relations because it's free. Then you do advertising, the workhorse of marketing. And then you do sales, which is that brings home the bacon. And then you do market research, which proper market research merely tells you what your advertising, et cetera, marketing and sales have done. And then informs the marketer. There's only one in any company. There's only one marketer in any company. General Motors has one marketer. And that is the director of marketing. That's the person that sets marketing. Everyone else is a specialty in marketing. <laughs> and, and then he or she comes up with a marketing plan. And then they just lather, rinse, repeat. Um, you try to always improve on it. Uh, market research will tell you, hey, you know, like postcards, um, color. Have an orange background. Have an have a orange background, which is action. Yeah. Orange makes person in action, but also gets them to leave. You want to have your kids not be in the kitchen as much, painted orange. They'll be in there, they'll take care of what they want, and then they'll, they'll want to come out. Just like um, uh, police holding cells are a specific shade of pink. Because for men, the first 15 minutes, they'll calm them down, but they have to take the guys out. Because after 15 minutes, they become rage. That makes them angry. Uh, it affects women, not at all. So they, but they did put them in there because there's no color that calms down women, except for like a medium blue. But that's the same thing for men. But men of a certain shade of pink will actually calm down. And that's why typically, psychologically speaking, that's why women like to color pink because it makes men uh, less aggressive towards them. Yeah. Anyways, that's just psychology. It's psychology color. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, oh. Really cool. Like that's a good way. And I, I love that idea. That's one of the great stories that I'm, I'm glad you shared. And thank you for sharing that with us. Um, as we wrap up, Jack, um, anything next coming for you? Anything you're working on? Anything you want to no. share? So, um, well, that would just be my Twitter account. Okay. Um, my Twitter account is at symbol Jack T. Decker, uh, J-A-C-K, letter T. D-E-C-K-A-R. Uh, that's the only place right now where I'm just, I'm letting this thing organically grow. Um, if you, if they want, if they like it, my amendment, follow me there. If they like just to follow the progress of it, follow me there. Uh, when you send me a link to this episode, I'll tweet out to my followers. I'm almost, almost up to a thousand. I'm like, right. I'm almost like eight away. Um, but it's been slowly growing. Um, I have a, uh, I see a lot of episodes being retweeted. Uh, the, the, the most current one, which I was, this, it was a YouTube channel. I was the second subscriber. Really? Yeah. I was the second subscriber and that one is being retweeted and retweeted and, and liked and so forth. Um, it's just, I don't, and there's, and it was an audio only too. <laughs> it's just, there's some takeoff. And some don't, and I don't, there's no rhyme or reason. It seems like, uh, to them, uh, but if you send me a link, I'll tweet on out and hopefully get you at least one or two more subscribers. <laughs> yeah. hey, hey, every little bit helps. You know what I mean? That's yeah. Cool. Every little bit helps. Uh, thank you for having me on. I appreciate Absolutely. it. Thank you, Jack. And I uh, hope you enjoy your weekend and, um, you too. 
forward to talking to you in the future. But thank you so much for sharing. This was really great. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. All right. Thank you.